So welcome, everyone, this evening. Welcome. We continue on our journey into the Satipatthana Sutta. And I hope uh, that tonight's uh, guided meditation uh, showed us that how accessible the body is and how wondrous it could be perceived. How truly magnificent this appendage to our mind, to our brain is, as we think of it. And uh, it, uh, it really needs a, almost a devotional orientation to, of, of service. Uh, I want to start off with another wondrous experience that I think will bridge the two mysteries. And that is that I went to the IMAX uh, film on the Hubble telescope. I strongly recommend it. You'll enjoy it. There's no way that you cannot enjoy that. Because it's 3D, you wear your glasses. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it takes you into the actual photographs of, from the Hubble uh, telescope. And then it rockets you through space, through those photographs, at more and more refined microscopic um, uh, smallness, and through the stellar wonders. And it just a, the, it's a profound sense of mystery, profound sense of, of, of exploration and uh, just wonder. Uh, when they talk about a hundred billion galaxies, and in each galaxy a hundred billion stars. And so, but the question to bridge that wonder with our own is to see that we haven't lost nothing in that exploration as we plummet into our known bodies. In fact, the wonder is equally as there if we were riding through the spaceships of the cosmos. And all we have done to the body is that we have confined it and jailed it within the sentence of our known and limited definitions. And what it needs from us now is a gathering sense of appreciation and gratitude, because that's the doorway to wonder. When you take something as a limitation, as most of us do in our body, and we fight with it and argue with it, and judge it and objectify it, we don't allow ourselves to come into the deep appreciation and gratitude that having a body, I mean, just the fact that we have a body. And that body has often not been explored fully. We haven't seen it. We haven't actually experienced it for what it is. The body in the body. Not the mind's image in the body, but the body as it is in the body can throw us back into that great sense of mystery. And 
by inviting that sense of wonder and appreciation, as one poet said, we reteach we reteach a thing its loveliness. And until and unless we have that sense of appreciation, gratitude, and loveliness and wonder, this spiritual journey remains confined within the descriptions we have given it, within the boundaries and almost confrontational relationships we have with it. And the body in this sutta is just a metaphor, really, for all things. It's to show us how to be wondrous and adventurous with all things. But it uses the most common thing as a starting point for that wonder. So don't take this as a sentence that I am to forever be focused meditatively on my body because all things come in through body. All things are revealed through body. So that we can see all phenomena in their true perspective. Now, uh, I would like to let, uh, read on where we continued from last time. But as I do so, I want to show that you can read this sutta uh, in a somewhat stylish and dry way that most commentators do, or we can bring life into it. Because it actually contains a great deal of exploration, a good tool for discovering the cosmos within us. Remembering, if you want a more defined link between the body and the cosmos, is that the elements of the body came from dying stars. That's a fact. And so there is not much space between the mysteries of the universe and the exploration of the body. The elements themselves came from dying supernova. I like that. It invites me with a different kind of wonder. So let's look and read this thing, not with scorn and dryness and shaking our heads and how awful it's written, <laughs> but with some re refreshment here. And I hope to provide some of that for us in here. So we go, leaving, continuing from last time, <clears throat> breathing in long, he or she discerns that he is breathing in long. Or breathing out long, he discerns that he is breathing out long. She trains herself to breathe in sensitive to the entire body and to breathe out sensitive to the entire body. Now the first thing that should dawn on us when we read that is that this is a call for discernment, for, for mindfulness, not for concentration. It's a, dis it's a call, to, it, come look, come see for yourself, come look at this thing. Come look at the breath, 
What's it doing? Don't just take it as the breath. Take it for all of its different characteristics and qualities. Is it short, long? Is it one thing or many different things? Develop some interest within this thing. Excite yourself about the possibility of discovering what these things that we have taken for granted really are. And then it also says breathing in long, he trains himself to breathe in sensitive to the entire body. So already we're including all of life within this whole body. Not just a refined and concentrated focus on the breath, but also the very nature, as we were doing in the guided meditation, the very nature and aliveness of the body itself as the platform for discovery. And yes, sometimes the mind gets very discursive and lost in thought, and a more refined and exact focus upon the breath can be very helpful and stabilizing the mind so they can go back out and re-perceive the mystery of the entire body as it enters its domain. So this sutta starts us with the breath, but soon encompasses the entire experience of the body. Now, as I speak about it, I hope rather than you conceptualizing my words or philosophizing my words, you actually journey into the body through these words themselves so that it can be a meditation in itself to read this sutta. So once we have welcomed ourselves in, and by no means is that a simple task, because especially in our Western world, we have a very um, disturbed relationship to the body, but let us suppose now that we have settled the scores and our scar tissue is not so disinviting that we welcome ourselves in and we begin to experience ourselves anew and appreciate the fact that we have this body no longer bringing the judgments, the uh, comparisons and contrasts of what our body looks like in comparison to others. That's been shut down. There's no sense in that. I hope everyone in this room realizes that that just needs to be dropped. The end of that. Really, I'm very serious. We can't go anywhere in here if we carry the cultural baggage. Because the cultural baggage is meant to shape us in a particular ideal fashion that you and I will never achieve and to buy all the products necessary to do that. So let's just drop it. There's not an ugly body that was ever, ever birthed. And so now we can, once we have welcomed ourselves, we can, can begin the exploration. And the next sentence says, he shall breathe in and out calming body formations. Now, that one sentence we're going to spend a little time on. Because there was a question last week about what's a body formation. And I actually have the textbook definition and then I have my own. 
<laughs> Guess which one I like better. <laughs> so first, the textbook. The body formation is the part of your body that has been conditioned by the mind with stress or disquieting. So a body formation is simply the, an area of the mind where you have a certain tension relationship to it. And as we learn how to breathe in meditation, and we begin to make the abdominal area pliable with that breath, so that it's supposed to expand on the in-breath and contract on the exhalation, we often find, many people find, I certainly did early on, that it does just the opposite. That it's so tight down there, it's so constricted, that it kind of goes up on the in-breath and doesn't really expand out at all and does something funny on the out-breath, but you can't really call it an exhalation of any quietude and relaxation. So there's a lot of body parts where we have hold a lot of tension, and if you doubt that, go see a massage, a deep massage therapist, who can set your bells ringing with their thumbs by just pushing into certain areas that hold and encase a certain tension within that body part. And so there's a lot of areas that have body formations, right? And what we're supposed to do is to calm the body formations. Or it's an invitation to try this as an experiment, to calm body. Now we have to be very careful. What do we mean establishing calm with body formations. Well, one of the definitions of that is to bring relaxation to it, right? So that the, your meditation is based within relaxation, but also as you notice tensions within your body, you relax them. Now, is relaxing something that you're doing volitionally? Yes, you're noticing the tension and releasing the tension. But it's not a control, it's a release of control. The stress and tension is the control. Relaxing the hand from the fist is the surrender to the control that has already been there. So you're not actually controlling the body through relaxation, you're releasing the control that was there, the resistance that was already locked into place. Now that's important because one of the ways that this sentence is defined in I shall breathe in and out calming body formations is to actually volitionally, with intention, bring calming into the breath. So that as you breathe, you invite calm to come in with the breath. Breathing in, I breathe in with calm. Breathing out, I breathe out with calm. I quiet the body formations of calm. So it's an act of involvement, of inviting calm into the body and into the breath. It's an invitation for calmness to come in. It's setting an intention for calm. That's different than the relaxation practice because the relaxation is surrender. Relaxation isn't forming an intention, but when you're actually volitionally inviting something and intending something to come in that isn't there already, then you can get a sense that you have to be very careful. We're on very fragile ice when, we are do, when we're manipulating the situation 
according to what we would like it to be. I'd like to have a little more calm in here. And you'll find that it works. When you intentionally, with intentionality, invite calm into your body, as I hope you're doing now as we speak, you'll find the calmness comes in. It arrives through intentionality. Intentionality is a tremendous factor within the guidance system of your whole spiritual journey. In fact, it is the guidance system of your whole spiritual journey. And you can guide this thing any way you want. And that's why when we were doing this series on the paramis last year, I told you that the best way to do this is not through the guidance system of, okay, I want that, now I want that, now I want that, because all that does is for the self to claim greater and greater facilities, greater and greater qualities that it can then be arrogant about. The point of inviting calm into the body, inviting calm into the breath and with the breath, is that it's easier to see translucently, it's easier to pierce, it's easier to perceive what is actually there when we are calm. Notice how much you can perceive when you're agitated, when you're annoyed, when you're angry. Not very much. You may catch the anger, but you don't catch much else. And you don't even catch the anger very well. But if we can build a sense a platform, a foundation of calm, this allows the scene to be much more perceptive, much more, um, whatever that word is that I'm <laughs> with my hand. It allows the telescope, it allows the Hubble telescope to perceive further depth of space. Now, the downside and the caution and the reason that I've been, spent so many weeks preparing us for this journey is that as soon as you find the maneuver, the, the lever, to be able to set your practice up so that you can have a little calm and you can have a little this and you can have a little that, you'll be forming yourself all over the place. You'll forget the point and principle of what we're doing this for, the reason why it is that you're allowing or encouraging calm, and the calmness itself will become the ends that we seek. So we have to be extraordinarily perceptive and sincere when we start moving, maneuvering in this area. This is a skillful means, and it can become anything but skillful when we begin to really enjoy the calm and not so much the seeing. Now the scene's okay, but I'm after the calm. Because one of the things the Buddha says in this sutta is that this is for bare knowledge only. You see, it's in there. Bare knowledge is the sutta's reference for insight, for understanding. He says, he didn't say this is to, this is to calm your this is for your sense of calm only. This will make you calmer, so that you'll, you can be a calming influence on yourself and other people. It's not, that's the wrong way. This is for bare insight, bare knowledge only, insight only. 
So all of the things that we're doing in this sutta has that as its only orientation and goal. So invite comment and beware that it is very alluring. And every time you invite and every time that something is encouraged in your practice, which as you become more sophisticated in your practice, you'll be able to bring forth, you'll find that you always have a choice whether to indulge yourself in what you just brought forth or to use it for what its point and purpose is. And you'll spend much more time, if you're like the average meditator, indulging rather than perceiving. So you just catch the point here. I mean, it, so saying, mental rebalancing, you know, when, we, when we're having a hard day, a lot of things going on, and you just want to mental rebalance, that can be useful from time to time. Skillful means to come in and just sit and say, okay, I just, just let calm, just, just let, you know, give me some space here. That's okay. It's not bad or wrong. It's just you're doing it, you know, for a temporary relief, which is okay. But it's not the point of the sutta, and that's what I'm referring to. Remembering that in many other talks I have given, I give the basis for the meditation, any meditation, as being relax, observe, and allow. And because none of those, relax, observe, and allow, are a conjured mental manipulation, except they're just the opposite. As I mentioned, relaxation is not a manipulation, it's a release from manipulation. It's a rele release from resistance. And observation is just what opens up when we're not resistant. And allowing is getting our mind out of the way of what it is that we're perceiving. For so relaxing, observing, and allowing really is the catch phrases that holds the whole of the practice. So if you have doubt about whether you're doing something skillfully or unskillfully, go to those words and just invest the, yourself, your practice in those words. Now it's also helpful to check in regularly and repeatedly with questions about how and what you're doing within your practice. See, the point of this sutta is to fine tune your practice. I hope you're I hope you're seeing that. And soon this practice is going to start moving out beyond the sitting format, which it is in the early phases of following the breath in and out, into your whole of life. So if you're thinking of your practice as the sitting meditation, you're off base. That starts there, but we move out from the practice into virtually every aspect of our life. So really this sutta is about the transference and the uh, orientation and alignment of our life to our Dharma's goals. So it's helpful to check in for yourself because the mind is extraordinarily cunning and slippery and very, you can think you can be practicing very diligently and well and really be moving backward, so to speak. So it's helpful for you just to check in with your effort. Is with your effort towards what? 
What are you trying to do by doing what you're doing? You should have an answer for that. There should be, is it bare knowledge? Are you trying to understand what is in front of us? Or are you trying to indulge and kind of lay back and just be in repose and lose touch with life just through the qualities that are being engendered? See? Where, what, what is driving this particular moment of, of observation? Is there surrender? That is, are you releasing the tension and thereby releasing the boundaries between yourself and what it is that you're trying to perceive or trying to understand? Or is there manipulation? This is a question to ask ourselves. Am I manipulating this if I don't want to see it? Manipulating means, oh, it's going left, I'm going to head right. I just don't want to go in that direction. It's too difficult, I don't want to see that. I don't want to be confront that place in me, that sorrow, that memory, that emotion. So I'll hang out with my breath and wait till it leaves. We need to know that, whether we're doing that or not. And where am I in all of this? Am I in control and firmly entrenched in control? Or am I allowing myself to gain understanding of what and who I am? Because this journey into the body ultimately has as an indication of how we form all of life from our sense of self. The body is just the most personal representation of how we do it all the time. How we have established boundaries of self and not self. How within the boundaries of self we have antagonists and protagonists. How we have journeyed ourselves into our minds in such a cornered fashion that very much of ourselves is shadowed and hidden? Or are we uncovering these components and boundaries within ourselves so that we're always moving into be more inclusive, to be more expansive, to be more infinite in the reach and duration of awareness? Or are we more limited and contracted are we still confined to a very small section of our mind in combat position? And the other thing that I just want to bring forward is that is this a philosophy for us? Well, you hear it in like a sermon in a church or a workshop that you go to. You hear all, wow, that sounds really good. Yeah, that really sounds good. And then workshop ends, the sermon ends, you leave and nothing changes. Is this a call for direct participation from you? Because nothing's going to move if it's just words, which is why I asked that beginners not come to this. I don't mean people who have not had the beginning meditation instruction because you don't even know how to use your life without that instruction, most people. To even be a able to know the mind well enough to be able to use it for your spiritual journey. So these are important questions to ask ourselves, to realign ourselves with sincerity. And remembering that this is for insight, this is for understanding. This is, insight means we have taken something, misrepresented something, and insight shows us 
how we have misrepresented. It shows that we have limited something by definition, and the moment of insight is that we move in that moment, we perceive without definition. That's what an insight is. It's seeing something new, new in the sense that it's no longer defined and held by just what I've known it to be. So the Buddha goes on. I hope this is interesting to you. It doesn't feel like, you know, playing Scrabble. <laughs> Five letter word for, but okay, so. So in this way, she remains focused internally on the body in and of itself or externally on the body in and of itself or both internally and externally on the body in and of itself. So you go, oh, what is that? What is, you know, like, okay, next, next let's hurry on. <laughs> but not so fast. Let's see what this is about. Let's, let's, let's bring it, let's make it alive to us. Okay, so we're exploring the boundaries of the inner and the outer. We want to focus internally on the body in and of itself. The body as the body. What's the internal? What have we labeled internally? And what have we labeled external? And what is the demarcation between those two? Internal, external. There must be some some line that we have drawn. What is that line? You see, it's an invitation to break down the barrier. It's not just, okay, uh, internal, okay, I got that. Out, external, okay, I got the internal, external, got that. Now, okay, next. It's, how do we make this thing whole? How does, how does life start moving beyond the descriptions and the regimentation that we have given it. And does a different sensation, because physical sensation seems to end with the skin, doesn't mean that, is a different sensation mean it's the end of the boundary? Why, is, why did we decide that? Who decided that the skin stops. The sense, of, the, the sense of awareness stops at the skin. The sense of awareness doesn't stop at the skin, I promise you that. Because it's not a contained within, it's not an inward only experience. It's an experience of inwardly and externally. In fact, if you're quiet enough, you can feel awareness seeing you. Now, where's the boundary to that? And so that you're an experience within awareness rather than having the experience of awareness. Whoa. Where are the eyes of that? And so we then move on to the next section. 
He remains focused on the phenomenon of origination with regard to the body, on the phenomena of passing away with regard to the body, or on the phenomenon of origination and passing away with regard to the body. Sometimes I think this thing is written so that there have to be commentaries to tell you what it means. So it's not simple. So then you have to have the monks there to decipher the codes. So that establishes the monastic movement, you see. This is nonsense. Okay, let's look at this. What it does is it starts showing you what we were experiencing in the, in the guided meditation is the phenomena of things arising and passing away within the field of attention. Amazing, the rising factors, the vanishing factors. You can see things at some points, things just arising. Other times you can change perception and see things just falling away. Sometimes you can see both the arising and the falling away of sensation. Now why is that important? It's important because we have taken what is inherently impermanent to be permanent. We don't perceive the body as arising and passing away, moment after moment, which experientially, unequivocally, it is. We've taken it to, look, my hand of 63 years, still here, hang in there a little longer. Never mind that even science tells us that there isn't a single cell in your body that has lasted longer than seven years. Everything gets flushed out. Never mind that we can actually feel the cellular level in our bodily experience. And you can see this thing is like, it's like party going on in there. And then it dawns on us that the nature of life has that ephemeral quality to it. And we also take what is incapable of satisfying to be satisfying. This thing, because it is temporary and inconsistent. You can, can't count on it. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, which is not a reason not to love it. It's a, really, it's a reason not to rely on it, but it's not a reason not to love it. So don't say, well, that's the reason I don't love it. No, sorry. Everything in life has the same composite ingredient. So you have just cast your love away from all things, if that's your excuse for not loving yourself. No, it just isn't going to be satisfying. It's not going to be where I can hang my contentment and say, okay, my body is just going to be youthful and young and vigorous and never ache, or maybe I have moments of that, but I have many moments of it not being like that. So I can't, it's no guarantee with this thing. No guarantee. Okay, so yes, it's impermanent. 
But where does the sense of body come from? I love that. It's like, where do those stars come from? Those galaxies? And if you just keep going back further into the reaches of space, you go back in time and you can see younger and younger formations of the galaxies and clusters giving birth to themselves. And you go back to just 400,000 years after the Big Bang and you come to a milky cloud of a microwave background which is impenetrable to the eye because atoms haven't formed at that point. And so the wonders in which we begin to descend into ourselves contain that same ingredient of mystery. Where does this thing come from? How does it give rise to the certainty that I hold it? And then the Buddha says, there is a body, the fact that there is a body is maintained to the extent of knowledge and remembrance. See, that's, that's in the sutta, but people don't, I don't know why that isn't pulled out, because he's saying it's only that you have remembered yourself to having a body is the reason that you keep thinking of it as a body, because we've remembered it, because we've have the knowledge of that remembrance. We keep forming that as a body, moment after moment, from that knowledge and remembrance. So the body's created by patterns, long, very conditioned pattern of thought. We keep thinking the body into creation. You could see, if you're willing, to go into your body without the sense of established knowledge and remembrance, like we did on the guided meditation, suddenly it's wondrous in there. It's truly magnificent. Which is true? You think the knowledge and remembrance is true. Oh, this is my body. That's what's true. That other stuff was just, I don't know, I was hypnotized or something. It wasn't the real thing. When my eyes light back up, when I start seeing from the fixed representation that I have established, that's what's true. Is it? Or is that just knowledge and remembrance? See, the sutra is so filled, it's really filled if you just pick, pick it apart a little. There's no body unless it is thought about. And so how do we make sense of having and not having a body at the same time? So we, we have a story that depends upon the sense of me living and inhabiting a body. And the whole storyline has a compulsive, moves compulsively towards a refined ending. Further subplots on and on. And so we just keep picking up the storyline 
as we open our eyes from knowledge and remembrance and propelling ourselves forward along those lines of what we have done and where we're going. But is it true? Is it a trance? Is that sense of where we have been and where we're going simply a trance that we are inducing upon something that is ephemeral and infinite? Because if we start looking at where that trance, what that trance depends upon, it depends upon having a past, which in this moment there is no such thing, and having a future, which in this moment there's no such thing. But somehow the trance of a knowledge and remembrance keeps us going laterally with the certainty that all of that is true. But when we actually experience what is true, not the trance of our thinking and remembering, which is just words inviting further story and further depiction and th further subplot, when we actually just look, experience directly what is true, it falls apart. But we think, oh, that was just a meditation moment. On with my life. And let me just take you a little bit further, back into deeper space, okay? When you assume the trance to be true, there are laws that come in that hold the trance, physical laws that come in that abide and are true only within that trance of thinking. What laws? Old age, birth, and death. Remember, the Buddha set out on his journey to end what he saw as the heavenly messengers of old age, birth, and death. These, the traumas of illness, the traumas of aging, the traumas of death. He said, I've got to leave my habitat and figure out what's going on here. What he figured out was that those laws only are governed within the field of trance. And he showed a way out of the trance. Not in gnarling down in our meditation, taking ourselves with us, trying to come to something, some cave opening, which eliminates old age, suffering, and death. You won't find that opening. You find it only when you're willing to step out of the trance of the continuation of ourselves. That is how you discover it. That's what freedom means. It's not at the end of a progression of more and more refined samadhi. Just look at it logically and feel refreshed by what you see. Oh, I can do this. I can do this. Because this sutta is not about concentration. It's about awareness. It's about insight. It's not about samadhi. And the Buddha says, proclaims that this will 
eliminate all woes and suffering. Lamentation, woe, all the different words they have for being miserable. <laughs> In fact, he says it just like this. This is the phrase that is at the end of this first section of the sutta that ends the suffering associated with having a body. He says, and he or she remains independent, unsustained by clinging to anything in the world, including the body. And this is how the monk, layperson, focuses on the body in and of itself for what it is. We surrender our body from personal ownership. We step out of the trance of the vehicle of mobility which has been taking us from past into future. By not conjuring up the sense of body, the yogi steps out of the trance of thought. By looking at the wonders of the body, not carrying the images of oppressed body parts with us and trying to solve that oppression like we're scrubbing out the house clean. Not entering the body and trying to rearrange the furniture so that it all looks and smells like a calm and quiet and tranquil place. But by bare knowledge, bare insight, bare seeing. Bare, bare. Thank you all. Can we sit for a minute or two? Now just as we're sitting here for the few minutes that we have, enter your body, enter yourself. Welcome yourself, welcome consciousness in. It would be in there already if you hadn't thought, of your, thought your way out of it. So just refuse to allow thought to take you out of it and you'll find yourself in your body. It's not a big, it's not a big mystery on how to get into the body. You just stop thinking your way out of it. You're already in the body. I hope everybody realizes that you can't ever escape that fact, that conclusion. Now, once we're there, let's honor the fact we're there. And be quiet. When you honor something, you don't create a lot of disturbances. You're quiet in there. Let the mysteries unfold right before our eyes. How does movement occur? It's so amazing that this thing moves. Okay, y'all.
So if you have any questions or comments, I'd be happy to entertain them. Yes? Yes. Yes. Well, um, B-A-R-E, attention, and B-A-R, knowledge. Bare attention is what they commonly refer to as awareness. Awareness without the accompanying uh, mental uh, commentary. That's what bare means, without the commentary. Just what you see, not anything added to what you see. Right? Bare knowledge is just what you see as shown to you rather than anything that you're adding to what it is that's shown to you. So they're very related, right? But one is the definition of insight because the reason that we don't have insights all the time is that we keep seeing through our conditioned reference to things. So knowledge comes up. The knowledge is the knowledge of the past of what I have about this person. And I see that person held within the history of my relationship with him. Now that's not bare knowledge. That's historical knowledge. Bare knowledge is seeing clean of that referencing. And then insight arises. So there's a direct relationship to awareness and insight, obviously. Less chatter, clearer seeing. Clear seeing, more what seeing what is there rather than what we have con been conditioned to see as being there. Seeing what is there is insight. Make sense? Yes. Right. Yes, and that's fine because it's not important. The message got in. If you feel the resonance of what is true, she says sometimes she hears something and it just resonates as true, but she can't talk about it. Right? So you can see bare knowledge, just the bare fact of the truth of it, without the accompanying words that are associated with the intellectual understanding of what that is. Right? And it's a gut. It's more gut feeling of truth. Then an intellect, it's not happening up here so much, right? It's happening in a different area of the body, actually. You can feel that. So that's more to the point of where bare knowledge occurs. Hmm? Insight happens, it's like a, it happens everywhere. It doesn't happen intellectually. The intellect is very quick to grab what is just seen and make it into historical knowledge. It grabs bare knowledge and says, wow, I just had an experience of an insight. That was so interesting. Well, let me tell you what it was about. And then the next time you see that thing, it was, wow, that was the insight I just, you know. So then it just, you see, it just does that. It just keeps coloring. It just only knows to do that. It, 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 it's not being bad or awful. It just only knows to cover it with words, to be abstract. You know, it just keeps abstracting everything. So you can't expect the concepts to ever give you bare knowledge. 
They'll just give you the abstraction that they have always rested upon for their certainty. But when you become less desirable, less desiring of the certainty that knowledge gives you, you'll be more open and exposed to bare knowledge. Do you see? But if you only want the certainty that knowledge gives you, then you're going to have to rely on the intellect because bare knowledge will be like, will be, take you off course, be a course correction. Did I say what? We thought our body into existence. We thought we think our bodies into existence. Yes. So if that, if knowing that, then it's a tremendous compliment to the unlimited process that we are. Yes, it's a it's a mean that you're limited. Unlimited. The fact that you are thinking yourself into an isolated position. <laughs> you're doing that yourself. So first of all, you want to get a sense that. When, without words, this body is unlimited. With words, it's just what I've known it to be, right? So we keep taking the unlimited and making it into, you know, printable form, right? And then we tie a story to the printed form so that we can have ourselves accompany ourselves through the journey of life. The journey of life contains the past and future. Where is it? If somebody could just show it to me, don't show me an album. The album is happening now. Don't show me your past. It's nowhere to be found except in the continuation of the theme of our life, which is the repet repetition of thoughts being generated again and again in a particular direction, in a particular experience in a particular orientation. That's all it is. That's all it is. That's all it is. <laughs> so to get out of that is simply to see that that's, wow, what am I doing that for? It's an insight, a revelation. Well, first you've got to see. It's very hard to see. I, I give you that because it, we get so stuck and thinking, no, that's the truth. I've got, where am I going to be tomorrow? Jeez, it's 8.30 and I'm late for, you know. It's, but that's all it is. How could it be anything more? Now that to me is as mysterious as anything in outer, outer space. And that's the point of the sutta. That's the point. Not to examine the body and get familiar with it and you know, make it a little more comfortable and continue it on is a different theme or a different subplot to the original theme with a little bit of of variance, so I'm not quite as unhealthily residing in my body as I used to be. I'm a little more, you know, that makes it a nice, a nicer trip, makes it a nicer trance. But that's not the point. And you can meditate yourself, muscles bearing down, 
for eons and not get out of the trance because the very thing that's carrying the trance and the certainty of the trance is that which is bearing down. Why don't we see that? There's no escape from this thing except your willingness to escape. None. There's no escape from this. As long as we carry ourselves forward, we will carry ourselves forward. Okay, enough. Thank you all. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your sincerity. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.